0: We all know the damage that fires are capable of. What we don't always understand is the cause, behavior, and what to do in the aftermath of a fire. Today, you'll understand these aspects just a little bit more. Welcome to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. We will give you tips on fire prevention, how to deal with insurance matters, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Donna and Mike.
1: And welcome to Speaking of Fire. This is your host, Mike Slapman. I'm uh, honored to be a past president of the International Association of Arson Investigators. I'm uh, the president of Fire Consulting International, and have been an f- expert fire investigator for a long time, 46 years. And, of course, that means I was uh, very young when I started.
2: And this is Donna Ingram. I have about 30 years in fire and fraud, and am a past director of the International Association of Arson Investigators, and welcome to Speaking of Fire.
1: Well, I want to tell you, Donna, we've got a really great guest. You know Kevin, Kevin Cunningham of Cunningham Investigative Services down in Snellville, Georgia, which is, well, Atlanta area. Um, And uh, he's been a He's been a friend of ours and uh, and a very good investigator for a number of years. and And he's an expert in fire investigations. And uh, he's got uh, forty years of experience in in investigations of fire and explosions. He's got a background in in um, in uh, fire service. Uh, he's a post-certified arson investigator. he's uh, He's taught and and still teaches for the police academy on on incendiary fire cause, and is an IAAI CFI. Welcome, uh, Kevin. Thank you, Mike. Donna, good to see hear from you.
2: I want to give you you a thank you before we start too for keeping me out of trouble in Savannah all these years.
3: Oh, it's a full time job, but somebody's got to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you. That
1: saves me some work there, Kevin, when, when, I, when she's not around here or, or, or working. Anyway, um, tell me about you, uh, Kevin. You've got, uh, you were a, a firefighter first, right? Who did you go to work for? Uh, I started
3: my fire service career in July of 1974 with the Cobb County Fire Department, uh, reporting station number nine uh, that morning uh, as a young, skinny kid, not knowing much about anything. I walked in, introduced myself to the uh, opposing shift and the people on duty, and I uh, had coffee, of course. And shortly thereafter, everybody started to leave, and uh, there was a guy sitting there with a white shirt on, and he pointed at his collar and he said, You know what these are? And I said, mm, Not a clue. He said, These are two bugles. I'm a captain. I said, Well, I'm good. He said, You know how to drive a truck? I said, Yeah. He said, well, that one in the bay, a rust to the dirt before I'll drive it. Come on, I'll show you how to drive a fire truck. And that was my introduction into the
1: fire service. Well, that's fantastic. (laughs) You know, so, yeah, well, it takes a couple. Well, that's, yeah, that's very unusual because it doesn't take years to become a driver for a a fire department. Oh, yes, it does. It takes uh,
3: quite some time. It took about four years before I was actually promoted to driver. Uh, On that first day, uh, the captain said, Come on, I'm going to teach you how to drive, and we drove up to station number one. Uh, He put us on the air on the radio and threw the microphone in the seat and proceeded to, to explain to me how fortunate I was to drive that wonderful apparatus when the people across the river in the city of Atlanta Fire Department had to wait years. Upon arriving up to station one, Uh, All the guys were standing out back laughing. I didn't know what to make of it. And as the chief beckoned the captain to the chief's office,
1: all I could hear him say was, everything I told him was true. (laughs) So so he must have said something uh, that wasn't exactly... um uh pro maybe the administration at that time yeah that's quite
3: a possibility he may have said some (laughs) uh, derogatory things about uh, the training and uh, the department overall
1: (laughs) Uh, was he still a captain the the, the, next day he
3: retired as a captain (laughs) (laughs) okay well good that wasn't the next day was it oh no many years later he had a long and distinguished uh, career
1: Okay, well, that's great. Well, how you got into, uh, how did you get into? Because uh, I I know you're well respected, you're well known throughout Georgia and with the international too. Um, how did you get into fire investigations?
3: Well, in uh, in 1981, Georgia changed the law that in order to be a fire investigator in a municipality of over 50,000, you had to be a police officer, and uh, they determined that I would. Uh, be able to fit the bill as both a police officer coming from the fire service. So in July of 81, I had already made lieutenant, and I was uh, transferred into the investigation division and uh, subsequently sent to mandate school to become a post-certified police officer again, and um, then we began our training Uh, in the uh, early 80s. uh, There wasn't a great deal of uh, reliable training in fire investigation, Uh, you know, as at those days, you went from uh, the old wives' tales, and you, you know what the the old guys would tell you they saw when they saw an incendiary fire. Subrogation mm-hmm. was not even on the horizon at that time. So, primarily, all we looked for was intentionally set fires. And uh, you know, as you know, in those days, we had a lot of bad science and uh, incomplete science that we relied on. I, I can recall. Uh, in the early 80s, that, um, we bought a black fluorescent light, and you would forest the uh, the water when the fire was extinguished, and uh, you would see a sheen on it that would mm-hmm. allegedly indicate that there was an accelerant present. Uh, same thing with the, the size and the color of the blistering on the wood. You know, If it was large, shiny blisters, that was an indication that an accelerant had been used. Uh, no, you know, yes. And then it transferred on to, uh, we've, in those days, we've looked at spalling of concrete. Which, and of course, since that time, we've learned is, uh, an old myth, along with the annealing of uh, the uh, bed springs and uh, crazed glass and many other old, outdated, uh, unscientific uh, methods of determining uh,
1: the cause of a fire. Yeah, wives' tales and and uh, old wives' tales that have been disproven. Um, and some of the, you know, what's what's interesting, though, for me is that, um, you know, 921 came along, which was good, and it was to help all the public service people and all fire investigators, and it's a great book, and you have to have make that your friend if you're a fire investigator, in FPA 921. And 1033 being the standard for fire investigators, you must meet all those JPRs. There's 28 of them in there. And uh, you have to meet those job performance requirements. And and um, it, what didn't change uh, from nine twenty-one was something that uh, that you as a fire investigator and I deal with all the time, and that's science and that's physics. Uh, fire still burns up and out in a cone, and, and uh, ventilation and is needed. And it, there's all kinds of scientific principles that we use um, in our fire investigations. The, what I think is important for any People to understand, including the uh, public that we're talking to now, and the firefighters and investigators we're talking to now, is that we use scientific principles, even though we're not scientists. And and uh, and with the proper amount of study, and you have to keep studying, um, then you'll be able to become a fire investigator. And and guess what? It never stops. Kevin, I can uh, Kevin and I can attest to. Uh, what Einstein said is when you stop learning you start dying so research happens all the time and that's what has has uh, dissuaded people from believing in those old uh, myths um, and uh, and Kevin I know that you um, you and I both uh, did a lot of interviewing um, and uh, I know that you uh, you've even taught that and so have I uh, throughout the country uh, we used to look at not only the um, the fired themselves but the, the entire the totality of the circumstance and uh, in the old days we used to do the whole investigation didn't we? Yeah, back in the, in the 80s and early 90s even when
3: I uh, retired from public safety and went uh, private, uh, the private investigator did the entire investigation of uh, neighborhood canvas interview of the uh, in-depth interview of the, uh, the occupant and insured and, uh, uh, courthouse checks and such is that and we put the whole package together uh, over the years that is, uh... been proven to be detrimental to uh... the legal aspect of it they, they pretty much want us to just purely look at the uh... uh... the fire scene itself and the uh... uh nothing but the science of the fire scene origin and cause and have nothing to do with any uh motive, means, or opportunity any longer as we used to do. but uh, So you're going into it with a lot less information than you once did, but you're looking at only one aspect of the fire, not the financial motives and such as that any longer.
1: Right, and that's that's important to know. And, and these special investigation units for the insurance companies now are established uh, by state uh, mandate. Um, the insurance commissioners in the different states have, have said you will have uh, special investigation units and and that they will do the follow-up on on the investigations when there are uh, when when we determine it as the experts that that there's an incendiary fire. Uh, because of the fraud that's uh, in this country, it's it's more than four billion dollars a year in, um, that is lost in in known fraud uh, cases. So um, Kevin and I are still very important, uh, and all of the fire investigators in this country, whether they're public or private, are important to determine what the cause of the fire is, and uh, even when it's accidental. And 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 Kevin, you touched on it: um, subrogation. People don't usually know what, what subrogation is, and what that is is if there's a product that goes out uh, and it, it causes a fire, then uh, the insurance companies will, will take care of the people that are damaged, and then they'll go after the product, uh, manufacturer who has an insurance uh, who has insurance, and to get their money back. And do you do a lot of subrogation uh, now? Because I know I do.
3: Yes, we do a a large amount of subrogation work now. Uh, That's primarily the focus of of most of your carriers today. Uh, uh, Luckily, the economy is doing a little bit better right now, and we're not having as much uh, incendiary fires as we once did. But uh, we look at a lot of subrogation fires, uh, which, you know, you mentioned earlier 921. uh, When 921 was first published in 1992, there was a lot of skepticism about it uh, and you know it was going to uh, put us out of business and tell us how to live when in reality if you read the book it was nothing more than what we had been doing we had just hung some fancy names on some of the terminology and uh, once you got that conveyed to everybody it really uh, is beneficial to everybody to have read it and follow it and today it has you know Complete chapters on subrogation, accidental fire causes, and things of that nature.
2: That's right. Twenty-one yeah,
3: has certainly grown uh, from it, that what it once was in ninety-two was just a, a large pamphlet. I think it was less than a hundred pages, and the, le- the latest version is well over four hundred pages.
1: Right, and it, you know, and it's got ju- it's judicially recognized, so it is an authoritative text as is uh well 1033 is the standard and that's judicially recognized of course as you shall do this and you shall meet this and 921 being a guide has uh has been judicially recognized as uh, having uh, authoritative information that fire investigators should follow should i didn't say shall should follow but can deviate from that i always tell my uh students, when I do the expert witness testimony course, I always tell them, Kevin, this is your friend. And if you make a friend of it, you're not going to be worried about it. They won't be able to skewer you with it. Um, I know that you've testified in, in many cases, Kevin. Uh, um, the, you're, you're, you're usually testifying. Well, you, we testify on either side of it. We can be the plaintiffs or we can be the defendants. So if we're the defendants, we're defending the insurance company against fraud and if we're plaintiffs, we're probably telling telling the manufacturer that their particular product uh, has malfunctioned. And do you find these, um, what do you find the most challenging about uh, about the testimony? Is it the deposition or the actual court?
3: Actually, uh, over my career, I've learned that the deposition is where the devil's in the details. Uh, in, in court, of course, it's a much shorter uh period of time that you're on the stand, and you're much better prepared, and you've already given your testimony during your deposition that you can refer back to, so you pretty much know what the opposing counsel's going to be uh, keying on and asking you, whereas, of course, in a deposition, they can ask you things that aren't even relevant to what you're doing. Uh, But uh, it's uh, much more difficult to do a deposition than it is to go to trial, in my opinion.
1: You are absolutely correct. I think um, I had a three-day, three-eight-hour days. I had twenty-four hours of deposition one time in a case, and uh, after after the second day, I think you'll think this is funny. On the after the second eight hours, this this plaintiffs attorney came to me. Well, actually, it was yeah. It's a plaintiffs attorney. He came to me and he said, "Slatman, if you'll just say what I want you to say, that we can end this." And I said, "It'll never happen." And then we had eight hours more. So, I mean, sometimes they use, uh, they try to intimidate you by just bringing up all those things that are really not relevant and are, Uh, if they're only sideways relevant to the issues. Well, you know, you're in for a long
3: deposition when the court reporter brings a stop clock. (laughs) And you know that the courts have determined precisely how long. The deposition can last, and the opposing counsel is going to use every second of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when, when you see them set up the stopwatch, you know you're in for a long few days.
1: <laughs> you know, what's really good about that is that after time now, see, I used to be like every other fire investigator in the world and say, oh, Darn it, we've got to go to this deposition. You know it's going to be grueling. and and now now I'm having fun with them. I, I know you probably do too, because um, it, you know attorneys are human beings and they and their uh, their expertise is in the law, and ours is in fire. So now you know they can ask us some questions that we can, yeah, they can do some score some real points on them, and they won't even know it. Uh, do you find that too?
3: Oh, absolutely, and, and you know, as you say, the attorneys are human as well, and uh, sometimes you can uh, you know banter back and forth somewhat, and it becomes somewhat more enjoyable. Um, and and the, you know, the, the big thing that I try to convey to these uh, the young investigators is this isn't personal; this is a mm-hmm. business. They're not being personal; they're just trying to upset you, and if you don't let them upset you and you smile, they're just going to smile and go right on so that's the best way to handle it
2: and that brings up something too uh, which is confidence being confident uh that's something that i in my classes talk about is the level of confidence that you have which comes from training and experience and mike you can talk more about that what we do with our uh laborers are the guys that we take out
1: yeah well i mean and kevin does it too i know i mean he's uh he's had people in training we what we do is we get firefighters that are unlike uh fire units uh you know investigation units that want to learn more and more about fire and they only see a certain number so what happens is they'll see hundreds of them with us so we put them in a training program for about three years and uh and then they at the end of the three years if uh, if we, hopefully, uh, they'll be ready to, because um, uh, we train them also, we send them a lot of training. Then we'll uh, have them start studying for CFI and, and start using them um, uh, with supervisors to do fire investigations, and suddenly they'll get uh, their IAAI CFI. And, that, and what we're doing, in essence, is training uh, our, our uh, replacements, the people that are going to be moving up behind us. And and we use 1033 and 921 and Kirk's fire investigations. Uh, the eighth edition is out now. I had Doctor the Deha- 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 on with Dave, uh, Dave on. uh He and Gerald Haynes has written number eight. And so uh, we want we want them to know about fire, and we show them about it. And I know Kevin, you also take out young investigators. Well, you even you even trained your son to be a, a fire investigator, didn't you?
3: Well, uh that's correct. When I went business in nineteen eighty eight uh, I made this rash statement that a I would never have any employees, and b I would never have anybody in this family work here
2: <laughs>
3: and uh I got uh four other uh investigators plus my technicians, which all begin as you know shovel engineers from the fire service and uh, all of my technicians are IWI uh, FITs uh, as my all my investigators of course are CFIs. but uh, you know it's a training and then uh, as my oldest son came along uh, in the high school, he was a, a good cheap shovel. Uh, so he learned from the time he was in high school through college and all, and uh, he's been with me going on 20 years now as an investigator. He got his CFI sometime around 2001, I believe.
1: Yeah, you know what it is? I don't know about those kids. I mean, they they get older while we stay so sharp and young. I don't know how that happens. Yeah.
3: Well, it's kind of like you referred to a while ago, but... Uh, uh, the job, uh, as I tell them when I teach down at Georgia Public Safety Training Center, they, they all look at you and they say, well, you know, you're getting on up in age. Why haven't you quit? And you say, well, really, I still enjoy it. I learn something new every day. And as long as you're learning something new every day, it is enjoyable.
1: It is, and and that's what keeps me going too. i have had oh, in the last expert two ex, expert witness classes, you're going to think this is. I I was I was taken aback, twice. I've been asked now at, at two different classes. Well, how old are you? And I said, 117 years old. And they said, really? And like, they believed me. And I said, I'm not really 117 years old. I just look like that. I said, no, um, I'm going And they, but then they go, so no, really? And when are you going to retire? And I said, three days after I'm dead. So, well,
3: you, you know, Mike, you're
1: kind of like me. The guy I worked
3: for told me I could get off at noon on the day of my funeral. Uh, so <laughs> that's, that's the way we're going to continue.
1: <laughs> that's right. Well, you know, I figure they're going to find me at the bottom of some fire scene someday with my legs sticking up in the air like a poor old dead dog. And, uh, and, uh, and they'll say, what happened to me? So that's him down there. And, you know, just, uh, hey, listen, we'll be, we'll be ready. I mean, just throw, throw us in a box and we'll be, we'll be various at a fire scene for crying out loud um well Tom, to me about uh, well i'm we're going to have to take a break in a few minutes but um there's there's a shift right now in our fire investigations um in this country um that's there's been an, um what's happened is there's a couple of big box stores that are well i call them big big box stores uh, don and i do and what it is is these uh, these Inter- these uh, national companies have decided that they want to take over the entire uh, investigation services and what they're trying to do is is uh, push the smaller firms that have real experts in them uh, push them out of business and, I, and are you, in, are you in, uh, experiencing that in your area too?
3: Oh absolutely. Uh, You know, when I first became working in a private industry, it was a very personal issue in that the uh, insurance and lawyers, they wanted to know the person that they were sending to do the investigation. They wanted to know them personally, and they wanted to know their qualifications and their uh, shortcomings, if there were any. So they didn't hire a company. They hired the individual to go out and do the fire investigation. Uh, unfortunately, as you say, the, uh, the, with the big box companies, now your uh, entities are hiring a company and they really have no idea uh, all the time of what person is going to go out there and do that job and actually be representing uh, that law firm or that insurance company, whatever the case may be. They have no idea who's out there representing them like they once did and when they go uh, down that road.
1: Yeah and it's a, and it's a shame actually because What happens is, well, that's why I formed CFIS, Consolidated Fire Investigation Services. When you're, we are part of that. You're part of the 200 investigators we have all over our country. And that is, um, is to know these individuals. We vet these individuals. They have to be CFI. They have to be trained. They have to continue their training. They have to have the proper insurance and, and, uh, and they have to have the proper CVs and, uh, you know, curriculum vitae and an experience for that particular fire because you don't send a, a, a car fire guy to a to a multi-million dollar um, structure loss or commercial loss. So that's what we do, and and uh, and so we still believe in the individual, and and so do the uh, attorneys mostly. But the problem is the insurance companies are are buying the lowest product. What they're doing is they're getting flat rate. Um, flat-rate investigations, and you get what you pay for. You're either getting drive-bys or you're getting them making uh, their um, money from bringing in their own engineers because they have engineers on their staff. So it's pretty sad. So what I want to do with you, Kevin, is I want to talk to you when we come back because we're going to have to take a break here in a minute. But when I, I would like to talk to you a little bit about some of the uh, – you've got some stories, some fire investigation stories that uh, that I'm sure that people will be interested in because I kind of named this uh, uh, Georgia style fire investigations Georgia style because different countries uh, come sorry different um, states have different rules like some are Fry states and some are Dalbert states and and things like that so. When we come back, what we're going to do is we're going to ask you to tell us a story. Donna will open it back up, and I'm sure she's got a couple of questions for you. Um, and then maybe you can tell us a couple of uh, Georgia stories that you think are either humorous or tragic, whatever you decide. And and when we come back, we'll, uh, we'll do that. Is that okay with you? Yes, sir. Uh, we'll look forward to it. All right, sir. Then um, when you come back, come back to Speaking of Fire.
0: Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at fcifire.com or call 913-262-5200. FireAnalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact FireAnalysis.net. That's FireAnalysis.net. To Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show, please call one eight six six four seven two five seven eight eight. 472 That's one You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire.com. Now, back to this week's
2: program. Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thanks for joining us.
1: So we were talking before, uh, Kevin, about the big box stores, and um, I think one of the things that people should know is that um, uh, by by negotiating flat rates with these, uh, these big companies, uh, what's happening is a lot of the companies, or some of the national companies, are, don't have the properly trained people, and you were saying that um, they don't know what they're getting. Is that right? Well, uh,
3: you know, earlier you had mentioned N F T 921, and there, there's a way that you have to investigate a fire in order to do it in the fashion that is required to testify as to your findings. If you're going to do a flat rate and you're doing one price for Mike Slapman and another price for Donna Ingram, well, what are you doing for one that you're not doing for the other? Mm-hmm. And, and as a result, when you throw a guy out there and he's getting a flat rate, uh, is he doing all the steps of the scientific investigation? Is he doing everything that's necessary to make a determination? Or is he just going out there initially and looking at it and determining, well, if I'm bringing an engineer back, maybe I can determine whether there's some subrogation. So uh, in, in the long run, are you really... Uh, saving any money number one for your company and and number two are you getting a viable product that you know uh the individual can testify to in a court of law
1: uh, it's right and and if you're just doing a what we um, called we're calling it a drive by because you you're in this flat rate situation are you always digging everything out in all the rooms that need to be dug out and and it's taking longer than that uh, that little flat eight hour rate thing um Then they'll bring in their own engineers where they do, on the second day, they get full rate plus they get an engineering rate now. So you're getting, you're kind of double dipping. So it's costing the insurance companies and they don't know it. And that's what's sad. I mean, they don't know it because what's happening is a lot of the people in are, well, the adjusters. Do you find them making the decisions anymore? They're not, are they, Kevin?
3: No, the adjusters, unfortunately, are not being able to make the decision on who they'd want to conduct their origin and cause investigation. Is being done by you know someone far up the uh, the ladder uh, who is more in tune to uh, the financial aspect of it, other than the. the getting your hands dirty and walking around in the, the burned-eyed ash to make that determination. Uh, it's my understanding that the people who's making these determinations for uh, who they use uh, may or may not have ever even been in a fire to investigate it, much less have a, a, a good idea of who they want to hire to do so and represent them and their company.
1: Yeah, I know it's sad. It's, uh, the bean counters is what we call them, uh, the uh, procurements uh, comp- uh, for the companies that are are making those decisions. And they don't, know, they don't know our company name any more than they know um, the big box store company names. They just, whoever will give them the, the, sh- the smallest price, um, that's who they're going with. And, and that's a real shame because actually the insurance are getting chipped. Because what happens is um, they're not really getting the, the intensive, detailed investigation that they deserve uh, because it's a, it's a contract of insurance. Um, and, and that's the thing that I think that, that irks me the most. I'm an insured, too. If I had a fire, although they would investigate the heck out of me, wouldn't they? Anyway, because I'm a fire investigator. Anyway, uh, I would want a professional to come in and, and find out what if you have one of these guys that are not fully trained and vetted come in and accuse me of setting my fire okay without doing all the steps the scientific method as you brought up uh kevin that would irk, that would well it caused people all kinds of trouble they have to get their own attorneys they have to sue the insurance companies they if they get uh, they have to go through an examination under oath i mean there's all kinds of of different things that these insurers have to go through, and um, and I think it's a I think it's a real shame uh, that these big box companies uh, are trying to press the smaller, real expert companies out of business.
3: Well, you know, and, and as you mentioned, uh, when they're accused of something that. Uh, that hadn't been proven. And it, it goes back to, Mike, and you recall back in the, the uh, 90s when most of your fire department, police department, arson divisions changed the names on their shirts and on their equipment from arson to a fire investigation just because of the connotation that somebody was guilty of something without even any knowledge of whether they were or not. So, you know, that was back when we first started becoming a little more uh, uh, in knowledge of what, could happen just by accusing someone or giving the appearance as such, and then you send out someone who's not qualified who would not pass a Daubert hearing uh, as to his methodology. And that, in, that poor individual, as you say, it could ruin him and his family for life for a call that is unnecessary and incorrect
1: that's correct and you know it's it's so sad um well you know the international association of arson investigators was formed in 1949 and at that time it was formed at a college and uh it was made up of fire investigators and always has been and uh and uh, they made it the international association of arson investigators because that was the um uh it was a you know it was a fascinating thing people thought fire but that we've always been fire investigators um but we're branded now as the International Association of Arson Investigators and we do investigate arson but our primary job is to is to investigate fire and we all know that and uh, and frankly it's uh, well if, if think about it that way a lot of people think it was more sexy to be called a, an arson investigator than it was to be called a fire investigator right uh, oh yeah and, you know yeah. Uh,
3: you spoke earlier of uh, subrogation and, uh, and and the doing things differently. I can recall in the mid 80s when the subrogation first really made its appearance on the, uh, the horizon for these insurance companies and such uh, I was working uh, in another state. Uh, and called the client who was in a third state, and she said, you know, I was in a seminar recently, and uh, they talked about this new thing called subrogation where uh, if a product caused it, we might be able to even get our money back. Yeah, I heard of that, but I've never been involved, and that's when it was first coming to be, and uh, I said, this gentleman said he just bought this TV, and that's where the fire started. Mm-hmm. So the uh, the client advised, well, you know, you need to bring that back to your uh, office and we'll find an engineer of some kind to look at it. Well, this was long before uh, the TSA checked you at the airport. And <laughs> so uh, uh, being uh, a little bit new to this subrogation, I took the TV and pushed it down, smashed it flat, got me one of those Delta suit bag boxes. If you'll recall, you could get a box to put your suits in. Right. I stuffed that TV in that box, took some good old duct tape, taped the whole box, and I shipped it home as luggage. Uh, but uh, that was my first uh, uh, brush with subrogation. And, uh, you know, today, these uh, some of these young kids, uh, I don't know that they'd have... Uh, the intuitive skills to, to think about getting something done like that. Uh, you know, that was the only way I could figure out how to get it home at the time. Yeah, so it worked. Gr-
1: Yo, know, boy, you'd be in big trouble if you did that today, would you? I mean, uh, oh, my it's, goodness, it's today. Bad, my gosh, uh, you, down better, down you better
3: ring it off, put tape on it, put <laughs> evidence tags on every piece, and uh, <laughs> build a wall around it until you can get everybody and your brother on notice to look at it.
1: That's right, and that's that's called the shotgun approach to to subrogation. They put everybody on notice. I was working a $3 million loss up in uh, the Quad Cities, and we had 44 investigators. We had 30-something engineers. We had 16 attorneys. This was a major operation, right? The fire was on the second floor, and they had everybody on notice, including the lawn sprinkler people. That had a controller in the basement, and you know, the fire's on the on the on the second floor, uh, the third floor. If you <laughs> the basement, I guess as a as a floor. Anyway, the bottom line is it's hilarious. That uh, um, and but everybody, uh, everybody's looking to get their money back now.
3: Uh, oh, to get in
1: major uh, losses. Uh, absolutely and, and you know uh,
3: some of your larger law firms are more adapted making sure they notice everybody that could be involved uh, mm-hmm. you know you know yourself when you get to some of these larger joint inspections and you start counting heads you have you know friends that you've met over the years from all over the nation and there could be 40 or 50 of you out there on a a large fire Uh, recently I I was at one where a a young man held his hand up and the attorney finally recognized him and he said uh, can I go now I only plant the roses
2: Uh, he'd been
3: put on notice and he was he was a landscaper oh
1: lord well I was in one in New York City a couple of weeks ago we had 30 we had 30 fire investigators now I'm I'm kind of a because I'm a past president now, and what can people do to me anymore? I always carry this, the, the challenge coin for the IAAI. It says, I'm a truth-seeker, not a case-maker. And so I always find a way during the briefing or whatever to bring that out and say, remember, gentlemen, we're the International Association of Arson Investigators. We are fire investigators. We're truth-seekers, not case-makers. That is to put on notice the... Uh, what I call the investigators that that always their client never did it. Uh, they're the ladies of the late afternoon uh, in fire investigations. Okay, so anyway, uh, and I know that you've run across a couple of those, haven't you, Kevin?
3: Well, of course we all have. Unfortunately, uh, you know you know that you're going to run into that when uh, they're not sure what caused the fire, but they're positive their product didn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, you, you run into those, I, I've run into them in many, many instances, and it, it, it's sad when an investigator feels that it's necessary for him to go down that road in order to maintain his business. Uh, it's, it's just uh, it's not something that we were taught uh, as I was coming along.
1: No, it's and it's not morally correct, and it's not uh, ethically correct. And so, hey, let's hear a story from... Uh, From a Georgia story, Um, you know, tell us a story on a a fire investigation that you did that you thought was either funny or tragic, please.
3: Well, you know, uh, I've I've conducted a lot of fire investigations over the years. Uh, One of the more interesting and strange ones was uh, several years ago, if you'll recall, everyone was sitting around their home one evening about 5 o'clock, watching the 5 or 6 o'clock news, whatever it be, and they looked up and the Atlanta Fulton County Stadium was burning. And lo and behold, it was the first uh, night of Fred McGriff coming to the Atlanta Braves. And uh, one of the uh, suites had caught fire during the pregame, and it burned. Mm. Well, you know, I left the next morning to go out of state to work a fire and didn't think a whole lot about it. Received a phone call while I was gone telling me that I needed to report to the tunnel of the uh, Fulton County Stadium at 6 o'clock that night from one of my clients so I called my technician and we off we traveled we were at the tunnel at 6 o'clock and he said the uh, Fulton County Authority and the owner of the stadium is determined if they're going to repair this stadium tomorrow at 7 a.m. Wow. you have from now till 7 a.m. to conduct the investigation into this fire and uh, I looked around and there, there was ball players everywhere, and they said, oh, yeah, we have a game tonight. Got so, it. you know, it was Good. it was a wonderful evening when they put up black tarps around the burned area and stuck us in it. And we had all night to work. But now if you wanted to get out of that tarp, you mm-hmm. had to ask a security guard to go with you because you weren't going out there and watch a ball game. You couldn't go get a bottle of water. You had nice. to get one of them to do it. So uh you know it was kind of comical in that the uh stadium authority and owners of the stadium had made a determination that they were going to repair it uh no matter what the next morning uh when we left at the daybreak they were lining up the heavy equipment to uh, bulldoze the scene
1: not be darned. And, did, 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 and did they well, they did were that. Able, <laughs> well, yeah I bet you they did but the their insurer was all on board for that right it was explained to everybody
3: in such a fashion uh, that uh, we understood. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, all the lawyers understood. Uh, the insurers understood. Uh, the city of Atlanta investigators uh, understood. And so we did what we had to and took everything out of there that we could think it was necessary overnight. And they bulldozed it the next morning.
2: We- I have an important question. Who and won
3: the game? <laughs> I have no earthly idea. I don't even know who was
1: playing. <laughs> <laughs> the poor guy couldn't even watch the game. Anyway, but yeah. uh, tell, me, tell me this. Was there a determination made, or was it one of those? Because the, the real truth of the matter is, if, if anybody tells you that they made uh, a determination on every fire they ever worked, they're lying to you. Oh, absolutely. So, but on this particular fire, uh, one of the TV stations
3: uh, had determined, Discovered the fire very early, and they videoed it from it—a very, very small fire, approximately the size of the palm of your hand—till it burnt the stadium up. Uh, oh, so wow. we had video that was of great help.
1: I guess, I guess. So you, so they, so you did determine it. Well, that's. Oh great. yeah,
3: we we figured out precisely what happened.
1: Right. Uh, but so you got any? You got another one for me? We got ten minutes. Left. Well, you know. Uh, uh, all these, uh, you know yourself, you get into some of these
3: larger fires, and you have, after a period of time, personalities, unfortunately, get involved in them. Uh, uh, a few years back, I was summoned to do a hotel fire with fatalities, and uh, it took quite a long time. It took us 11 months to complete processing the scene and secure all the evidence out of the, uh, the building, during that time, uh, one of my technicians came and he said, you know, I don't want you telling me anything about being nice anymore. He said, I just separated two lawyers up on the fifth floor that were fighting. I <laughs> said, ooh. And so, uh, you know, we, we had to have a a come to meeting with everybody that you have to play nice in the sandbox
1: no matter what. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Uh, I mean, well, that, we'll see. Yeah, again, uh, lawyers, attorneys are, are uh, also human beings, and I was in a deposition one time where this one attorney, they got into an argument, and so this one attorney bounces a videotape, this is back when videotapes were being used, you know, it bounces a videotape off the other attorney's chest, see, and so naturally, I jump up on the record and say, you know, this is an assault. It's not going to continue that my presence, and I made that all part of the record. And then we went out into the hallway, and this attorney that got that that I was on uh, the insurance defense side, it was on the same side as I was testifying for. He said, "Oh." I said, well, let's get out of here. We're not going to do this anymore today. And he said, no, I, let's go ahead. I, you know, he's calmed down a little bit and stuff. And so we went back in and, and, and we're sitting there, we're getting ready to start again. And um, the secretary opens the door and says, the police are here. And and it seems that the attorney that threw the uh, videotape that bounced it off this guy's chest uh, had called the police, had called 911. And the police came, and and he said, do you want to talk to 911, I mean, to the police? I said, no, I didn't call them. You called them. And so he uh, he explained it away and said that, uh, yeah, was, that there wasn't anything, So and they left. But the bottom line is crazy stuff happened, even with attorneys and other investigators. You ever had any, I've never had any investigators come to blows, but I've certainly had to Got, I've got into some verbal con- confrontations when people want to do things wrong and they're going to ruin the scene. I've done that. Yeah, You
3: know, and we all, you know, as you mentioned earlier, uh, we're fact. We're looking for the facts. We're not trying to make a case on anything. And uh, sometimes, you know, in the heat of the moment, people may lose sight of that and then we have to calm everyone down and get back to uh, doing the job as we're trained to do it as we know to do it and mm-hmm. to do it correctly. Uh, because, you know, as you know, the old adage is uh, the best fire you work is the one right after you testified the day before because you know what not to do. No, and, and you, you know, you don't lose your temper and you, you know, on these things. But everybody's guilty of it to some degree because it does unfortunately occur.
1: Yeah, it's a shame. That's, uh, yeah, but, you know, I've literally looked. I, I know you and I have both worked thousands of fires over our careers, and and there's very few incidents that you, I, we got thrown off of a scene one time by an insured that said we don't. I don't want you, on the scene. We showed up to do the fire, and he said I don't want you here. Okay, do uh, you realize that the insurance company wants us to look at it? And 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 he said no, I don't want you to look at it. Okay, so we drove away, and of course, naturally, when they explained to him that they have a right to look at it, um, that they are not going to have to pay their the claim if they don't get a chance to even look at the fire, then of course he was, uh, he let us on the scene, and he was hostile about it though, um, and he just sat there and glowered at us all <laughs> every minute we were there. But you know, we can we can stand some glowering. How about you? you ever have any uh, insureds that uh, not want you on the scene, Kevin?
3: Oh, absolutely. You have them, you know, get upset. and uh, A lot of them. I we used to do a fair amount of work for what is known as the fair plan. You know, uh, I, every state has it. It's called a different name, and that's the individual who's had numerous losses and can't just go down the street uh, to the local insurance house and get uh coverage and I was working a fire in South Georgia in the heat of a summer years ago and you could stand there and smell the diesel fuel (laughs) in the ash and and I'm interviewing the insured and he said I just don't understand why you're asking me all these questions and I said well it's part of the investigation I have to know what was in the house where it was at everybody's actions in order to properly conduct an investigation he said but nobody ever asked me the other seven fires (laughs) I said, well, maybe that's why I'm here on number eight.
1: <laughs> you know, fire, fire doesn't follow you around like a dog. You know, what I mean, it's a, it's a, it's something. Uh, yeah. mm. Statistically, they say that if you have a serious fire in your life, you're not going to have another one for thirty years. Okay, yeah. but if it start, you start having one every once in a while, you something's going wrong here. Something's something's uh, off. And uh, Well, I want to tell you how much I enjoy you, uh, Kevin, and, uh, and I want people to call Kevin uh, Cunningham Investigative Services in, in Georgia. Tell us your phone number, Kevin, please. Well, the office number is
3: 770-978-1251, and the secretary would be happy to speak with you and take any information or uh, help you in any way we can.
1: All right, 770-978-1251 cunningham investigation services and and if you're lucky um kevin's got that day open and you'll get him or Corey, is his son um who's got all those experience or one of his fine investigators i know he has good investigators because he's part of the cfis or we wouldn't be part of that yeah. and donna well, you, we appreciate you, it you're terrific kevin thank you donna you have somebody coming next week don't you
2: uh, yes, join us next week. We have, uh, Rob Wiley and, uh, Chris Caballero. Chris was the EMS director and Rob goes around the country and talks about the Ferguson incident. So we're going to be talking about the, the shooting, but then the rioting afterward and the arson fires that were set and, you know, how that was handled at task force level and from ATF on down.
1: Yeah, well, that's going to be great because um, a lot of people still have questions about uh, the Ferguson matter, um, particularly about why the law enforcement people didn't uh, intercede um, and to stop the fires, uh, you know, um, and and you know what I mean. There's sometimes you you're um you're hamstrung by uh, by uh, either political decisions or, or uh, some kind of um, a riding situation where you're um, you can't put uh, people at risk. So well, hopefully we're going to get some really good information out of that. But um, I want to, again stress um, just like Cunningham Investigative Services here in here in Snellville, Georgia. Um, you you want to call. You want to know who your fire investigators are. So if insurance insurance adjusters are out there our company personnel are listening now uh, think about um, think about who you're hiring and is are you getting what you what you're paying for and um, and remember that uh, if you if their investigator can't uh, tell you what the seven steps of this scientific method is you don't want to use them I just remember that too. And that's why we have Consolidated Fire Investigation Services, why Cunningham has Cunningham Investigative Services, why I have my own company, Fire Consulting International. And, um, and I, I hope that you will uh, have fire investigators uh, that are professionals and experts. So, let's, so we're going to sign off now. Uh, Donna, thank you for being here. Kevin, thank you. And uh, when you come back, uh, come back to Speaking of Fire.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Speaking of Fire. Please join your hosts, Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram, for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember to be careful this week and every week.